It was a cool, clear morning on Trinity Lake in Northern California. My dad and I were going to go fishing early in the morning, and as we set out on the lake in our little motorboat, I could see the water ahead. It looked like a sheet of perfectly smooth glass stretching out a mile to the other side. The water was dark, glossy black, and the mountains on the other side reflected down onto it. As badly as I wanted to go out and catch some fish, a part of me didn't want our boat to disturb that perfectly glassy water. Perhaps you've experienced this where in whatever lakes you fished at. Even the Columbia River has its moments when there's no wind, which is rare, but the water looks like glass when you see it. When you see that, you get a glimpse of the throne of God and His heavenly court. Now, some of the other things at the throne of God, however, are not so easily seen here on earth. Take, for instance, the winged creatures with heads full of eyeballs. God the Father sitting on His throne looking as if He's made of rare minerals. You know, what are we to make of these things? Well, what did John make of it? Well, let's see with our own eyes the island of Patmos where the Apostle John received his vision from God and this great gift of revelation for us. Looks like a nice Greek resort, doesn't it? But it wasn't anything nice in the first century. It was barren, hot, dry, no water, a prison for those exiled there. You know, John had become the longest living witness to Jesus Christ. He'd been with Jesus and seen everything since the day Jesus arrived at the Jordan River. And even in, uh, uh, after the events of Acts, John was pastor of the Christian church in Ephesus when most, if not all, the letters of Paul had been written and were in circulation. Imagine that. John is pastor at Ephesus when the New Testament letters and Gospels are going around in circulation for Christians to hear and read. But it wasn't safe for Christians in the Roman Empire. So at some point in time, John was arrested in Ephesus and dumped on the island of Patmos. It was there that God opened the door to heaven so that John could see and hear what God wanted to communicate to his church on earth. More specifically, Jesus Christ commissioned John to write these things. You know, like an, an artist, a painter or a sculptor or a composer gets a commission from the king to create a work of art. John was commissioned by Jesus to write these things in Revelation. You can read that in the first two chapters of Revelation. After John receives this verbal commission, a door to heaven opens and Jesus says to him, quite plainly, hey, come up here. <laughs> it's so simple to understand and, and picture in your mind, yet so incomprehensible. We can't do that. We, we don't have the power to go up there. John didn't have the power to enter heaven and approach it and knock on the door. Instead, Jesus says, come up here, and immediately he's in the Spirit transported, so to speak, 
Whatever it was, it was a holy experience for John. And one we receive, in a way, by hearing this message and all Scripture and partaking in communion. But for John, he was seeing these things firsthand. He sees the throne of God and the one sitting on it, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Jacob, the God Almighty. Now, John doesn't give us any bodily or facial details. Instead, he describes God in the appearance of these two precious stones, Jasper and Carnelius, Carnelium or Sardi, Sardium, or Sardius is another name for the one on the right. They look kind of similar. John isn't saying God the Father appeared as a giant statue of this stuff. Rather, the appearance of God and His glory looked like the essence of these gems. Notice their deep brilliance, radiance, and color. Then there's the rainbow-like halo surrounding the throne. It's emerald green, brilliant light, a token of God's heavenly glory and majesty. Don't overlook this rainbow, my friends. It means something. Remember, in Genesis, God creates the rainbow to be a recurring sign for all peoples of the earth that He would not destroy the earth again with a, a flood. That's right. The rainbow is a visible sign of proof that God blesses the earth so that it will not cease to sustain life with its bounty of fruits, even though the earth is in decay. Yet the rainbow is more than a sign of God's promise of the physical well-being of the earth and human life. It's also a sign of God's salvation by grace. Noah and his family were saved, and all humanity since came from them. We, his descendants, have received the gift of being saved also. The rainbow-like halo surrounding God's throne proclaims his majesty and his compassion for his creatures, including you and me. But we should take a step back from, the, from this vision for a moment and ask ourselves, does this really matter? You know, what's, what's this vision going What's it going to do for my son or daughter who's struggling with their sexual identity? How is this revelation going to fix my health problems or take away my pain? What's a vision got to do with my addiction? You know, we, we, we want to cling to Jesus' robe and keep pulling him down and keeping him here in his humanity to fix our problems. Make us okay. You know, a kind of keeping him down here on earth to be our brother and our friend. The kindly shepherd Jesus who strokes us gently, whispering, it's okay. I know. This vision matters very much because one day Jesus will return, destroy the world again, not with a flood as his father promised long ago, but with... You all need to re repeat Sunday school again? What's he going to destroy the earth with next time? Well, yeah, there's all kinds of events, but what's the cleansing element that he's going to use to... Yeah, fire. That's right. He'll cleanse the world with fire and make all things new again. And he'll raise us from the dead and say, come up here with me 
to the place my Father has prepared for you, a new earth in a new heaven, understandable yet incomprehensible. Now, we've got to look at these 24 elders before we finish. Here at St. Paul Lutheran Church, we currently have five elders. At the throne of God, there are 24. Now, it's nice weather here and all, but we've got some catching up to do if we want to be closer to heaven in this department. They didn't get that joke at the 830 service. They just kind of sat there and looked at me like, hmm? what does he mean by that? But seriously, who are these elders? These people going to de- decide what times the worship services are at the throne of God? Call you when we haven't seen you in three months to six months? I, I don't. It's a mystery. These elders are some exalted holy order of saints who have gone before us. They're not angels. They're not some other creature. They're people. They're human. Now, early church history seems to indicate that Christians believed that these elders were some of the patriarchs from Israel. You know, Adam, Noah, Abraham, a few others. And some contemporary figures such as the apostles. You know, you can, you can divide them up yourself and decide, right? Oh, there's 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel, right? But we don't really know exactly. Whoever they are, they give glory to God and represent the totality of God's people, both from the time before Jesus was born in Bethlehem and after the fulfillment of the prophecy on Christmas. They wear crowns because of Jesus' victory over death and that they are victorious because of Him, something we all share in even now. You know, you and I have a crown too. We can't see it on our head, but we have it. And we have the white robes of our baptism as well. You know, there's so much to see and take in here before we run out of time. Lightning flashes and noises of thunder. Wow, I guess there isn't going to be a lot of peace and quiet in heaven after all, is there? Sounds like it's going to be kind of a racket. But it'll be a good one. One we won't complain about or try to get away from. Some of the natural phenomena we experience here on this planet happens in other places, including God's throne. Another demonstration of God's awesome creativity, power, and majesty. And you've got the Holy Spirit there too, signified in visible form by the seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God. Then there's that glassy, crystal-like sea which suggests a vast distance between John and the throne. Perhaps a reminder to John and us that there is a significant separation between God and His creation. Bless you. You know, popular thinking today wants to put God in everything. The rocks, the trees, the lake where you fish, the sky, the air. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they created a chasm between them, the earth, and God, which continues today. A chasm so large, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do to cross it. No amount of good works, no amount of trying to be a good person, no amount of trying to love God with all your heart and all your mind will close that gap between you and the Father. Only Jesus has done that for you and me. 
This glassy sea might be a reminder of that separation of God's judgment over sin and against sin. We take oceans and seas for granted today. You know, we know they can be dangerous if you're not prepared, but to the people of Israel in those days, the sea was terrifying. And we're talking the Mediterranean Sea here. You know, one we think of as calm and warm and resort-like, right? But it has its storms, and people die in it every year. The Israelites believed Leviathan was in the sea, a monster who made the seas boil and rage. Only Yahweh could control this monster and calm the sea. But in the same way, it was also understood that only Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, can control and conquer Satan, the enemy, and finally quiet the fury of human sin and its resulting ruin and destruction. But this sea that surrounds the throne of God is like crystal, quite the opposite of the Mediterranean and all the other oceans on the earth. The sea that's before God's throne has been tamed, conquered, and stilled. John sees, and you and I see through his vision, that what had separated him and us from the glory of God's presence is now stilled and quiet. And that gap has been drawn, closed by Jesus. He has reconciled us to God the Father. Nevertheless, remember this the next time you see that glassy water on the Columbia or whatever lake you're fishing at early in the morning. You see that, you know with confidence and trust that God has conquered sin, death, and the devil. He's conquered your sin because you cannot. He's conquered mine because I cannot. He's he's still that raging sin for you and me. It's one reason this vision is such a gift to us, the church. Such comfort and encouragement from this imagery. We haven't even gotten to the creatures full of eyeballs yet. You know, I mean, I talked a little bit about that during the, with the kids. Perhaps that's enough for one day. Read about those creatures among yourselves and your family and friends this week. Draw them, if you will. I'd like to see them. Be blown away by the incomprehensibility of it all. It's heavenly worship, my friends, put into words for you to picture in your hearts and minds. It gives glory to God. His forgiveness and promise of eternal life is the first order of business in this worship right now. So we ask our Lord, Lord, move us evermore to love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells, here and up there. Bring us up there soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.